Welcome to season seven of Jesus Has Left the Building. We'll hear from guests all over the country who've been engaging in creative, bold, and fluid, outside the box, I mean, outside the church building practices that have inspired us. Our topic of discussion has emerged out of intersectional feminism, leaning into feminist and womanist practices born out of the stories of women, ancient and modern, and are practiced by and include all people as we ritualize relationship. This is the Jesus Has Left the Building podcast, where ministers, womanists, feminists, activists, scholars, authors, and liturgy makers have left the building too, with Marta and Mandy. In today's episode, Lean on Me, we talk with Dr. Tracy C. West. Dr. West is Associate Professor of Ethics and African American Studies at Drew University Theological School. She's the author of Disruptive Christian Ethics, When Racism and Women's Lives Matter, among many other books. She's served on the editorial board of Journal for the Society of Christian Ethics, as co-editor of the Journal of Feminist Studies in Religion, and on the Society of Christian Ethics Professional Conduct Committee. Tracy is an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church. To learn more about Dr. West, check out tracycwest.com. Well, Tracy, we are so glad that you are here with us today. Um, I first encountered your work um, and you in person at Drew University when I was doing um, my doctor of ministry program in, um, what was mine in? In public theology. Um, with Jackie Lewis and and John Jenka and Terry Todd, um, and you were a, a guest speaker in in one of our cohort meetings. So um, I'm so grateful that you um, that you joined us. You're you're joining us here on Jesus has left the building. I remember that um, your presentation and and just your presence was such a gift to me and my program. So I'm glad Marta gets to have a little piece of you in her program as well. Thank you. Thank you. I am just delighted and very honored uh, to have an opportunity to be a part of this podcast and this project. It's very cool. Yeah. And I wanted to give a big shout out. I really, um, your, your book, Disruptive Christian Ethics, When Racism and Women's Lives Matter. Um, I am excited to dive. I've dived a little bit into it. Um, and I just want to do a shout out to our listeners out there that Chapter four on liturgy is um, a must, and I um, I want them to read it. And it's not the whole book, so it's not overwhelming. But um, I think I'm excited to look at the whole book. I think it's important to my work in my demon, my doctorate of ministry program right now in prophetic leadership, intersectional um, feminist approach to worship. So Great. I am I'm also excited that you're here. Thank you. Um, so, so we'll just start out simply, um, if you'll tell us a little bit about the work that you do, um, you know, as an author, as a professor, any, any of the work that you're doing and whatever you'd like to share, um, and what, what it really means to you to lift up voices that have not traditionally been centered. I know that that is important to the work that you're, you're doing. Yes, uh, thank you for giving me the chance to reflect on my practices. Uh, because for me, I think where I'd like to start is yes, I do 
right. Uh, obviously, you know, you're mentioning disruptive Christian ethics and other um, books and essays that I have written, but the writing is is in conversation with practices. Mm -hmm. um, I the ideas are that I am able to articulate in writing come out of a very very vibrant, robust conversation dialogue with my teaching with uh, the ways in which I interact with audiences if I go and speak somewhere um, and certainly um, in the way in which I am in dialogue with society and I, I just I know that's a big category but every time I turn on the news and listen to a news story I'm impacted by it every single policy and Supreme Court decision uh, and uh, literally um, the the, the uh, reverb reverberations from those policies impact the ways in which our communities function and are dysfunctional. So that's what I say. There's a dialogue that's always occurring. There's a reflection, there's a critique, uh, ways in which I'm asking questions, ways in which I'm feeling overwhelmed or, or in sometimes um, angered or in other times uh, feeling a sense of the holy. Um, that God's God's presence and um, God is moving in certain kinds of of um, justice and uh, equality and compassion breakthroughs um, and anti-violence breakthroughs that occur. So I just want to stress that it's very important uh, for me. So that that gives you um, a snapshot of the of the kinds of work and venues um, that I uh, find myself in. Um, and what I count as my work. Um, I, I think of myself as, as, a, as a scholar, activist, teacher. And so um, I, I want to count all of the ways in which I'm interacting with the society and the world and my students uh, and also learning from uh, many, 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 many people who then become my teachers. My students become my teachers. Uh, so you see what I mean? There's always this dialogical process that's occurring. Yeah, I think um, I even picked up a little bit of that in some of the readings that I've done of yours in that um, you can have this theoretical practice, this theoretical ideas, and you can um, start to um, speak those ideas and start to slowly move into um, diverse spaces and be intentional about it. But until you take that back into the world and actually practice it, um, it often falls flat. And I, as I was reading some of your stuff, I really, um, I heard that and I felt that. And, um, and I was curious, you know, this is, this is not in the questions, but, um, all I wanted to do was I kept on asking, but how, how do you get a people like you can, you can um, bring women's voices into it. You can bring um, womanist voices into these spaces and you can bring art and poetry and literature and all of those things. But how do you get a people to really um, embody that and take it back out into the world. And you don't have to have the answer to that if you don't have it. Um, but that's, that is, that is what I want to know so much about it. Um, 
and maybe maybe it takes centuries as it took centuries for patriarchal Christianity and liturgy to take such a stronghold. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think it sounds so basic, but I just want to stress context and contextualization. And the meaning of scripture, for example, um, and the ways in which we ritualize mm-hmm. learning and understanding scripture in various uh, worship uh, settings is always so incredibly contextual. And so just the history that surrounds the text and of course that surrounds the writer of the text and that's even going on in the actual story, all of that context is so interpreted, so directly and impactfully interpreted by who we are Mm -hmm. as a community, uh, listening to and reading and reflecting upon. And so, so that dynamic process is already happening. So I guess the place where I want to slightly disagree with you is yes, that there, is that is that we need to get ready to embark on some process whereby we would bring something back into the world to challenge heteropatriarchy. Mm-hmm. The, it, there is an ongoing process. Mm-hmm. There, it's dynamic. Part of part of what, it, what our faithfulness and, and also our liturgical practices that symbolically represent our faithfulness is always interpreting. But okay. the question always for me is what, what kinds of critical questions and anti-oppression questions and lenses are we bringing Mm-hmm. to the ways in which that dynamic mm-hmm. interpretation and contextualization mm-hmm. is always in, mm-hmm. is always mm-hmm. occurring excuse me mm-hmm. so it's this continuing continual process over and over and over again it's this journey towards but not we'll probably never meet it we'll probably never get to that space because it's this continual teaching and learning and process um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even say that we're one place and we're trying to get to another. Okay. I have an even more dynamic sense that, that, that in some ways we're always in this interpretive mode. We're always thinking, reflecting, trying to understand, and I want to add destructively trying to control. Mm. always seeking some sense of how do we have power over Mm -hmm. the meaning of faith Mm -hmm. the meaning of our relatedness um, Mm -hmm. as members of community so that's Mm -hmm. that kind of seeking is is just is just always going on um, Mm -hmm. in a way that can in some ways bring us uh, a, a more expansive consciousness, but too often just simply reinforces the ways in which we need and want to control mm. and power mm-hmm. and feel like who we are um, is, is, is superior, um, particularly is, is more virtuous, particularly is, is morally superior. Because I do ethics, I'm always paying attention I see. to 
to that dimension of, mm -hmm. of the ways in which uh, there's this struggle over who has mm -hmm. virtuousness, who is mm -hmm. um, more valuable, whose dignity mm -hmm. and worth matters most. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, so often we're just doing kind of what I call mirror theology, or just mm. holding a mirror up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you're sort of saying, okay, it's good if what is reflected in that mirror. Okay, that's good. Of course, that's good. Uh, which is the way of heteropatriarchy, of course. Mm -hmm. That's the tradition. Yeah. Believe. yeah, it's complicated, isn't it? So it feels like, yeah, go ahead, Mandy. So Tracy, do you think that like, do you think that we are in a period of time where more of those questions are coming to light and being asked? Do you think that we are like, um, do you think that we are, because I totally, I, I totally resonate with this idea that it's not actually like, you know, destination and here we are somewhere along the journey, but I do also think and maybe it's just because i'm ignorant but i do think that we are asking more of the questions um or or holding up those those lenses in a different way i don't know if that question really even makes any sense but um can you yeah speak I, I mean i think that that's like who who do you mean by we Right. White people, white people, right now in the United States, are uh, perhaps the most mobilized uh, than they have been in decades. Certainly, certainly, not, I, I don't want to say than they have been ever been in the United States because that would not be true historically. But certainly, than they have been in decades to feel a sense of entitlement to feel a sense of this entitlement to dominate. And in some ways, uh, just, just look at the delight, the absolute delight white Christians are experiencing right now at seeing brown migrants tormented, mm. traumatized in this political game that is in this particular moment as, as we're talking with each other, uh, this, this, this game that certain governors are playing uh, mm -hmm. with traumatized mm -hmm. uh, families. Mm -hmm. and, and if you if you watch some of those press conferences of some of those Republican governors or some of those speeches, um, th there is this absolute it, it, it's there's an absolute thrill right uh to mm -hmm. this sense of we have finally found a way to create um this kind of gotcha mm -hmm. uh to liberals uh to democrats whoever it is they're 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 trying to um get the upper hand on mm -hmm. so so I, I think of I think of this. So the, I'm, I'm I'm referencing white Christian nationalism. I'm giving one very 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 specific example, but there is a popularity as particularly to this notion, and that's and that's not even the worst of the popularity of white Christian nationalism that's so appealing to white people. There's a broad spectrum of white people um, that are really feeling energized around. Uh, the torment of brown brown migrants, 
Um, but then there's and there's a very small minority. So I want to be careful. A very very small minority of white Christian nationalists who are mobilized towards extreme hate violence. Mm-hmm. So like the manifesto mm-hmm. in the killing in Buffalo or the mm-hmm. manifesto in the killing of Laredo, which very, very specific, the, those mass killings mm-hmm. of brown people in Laredo in 2019 um, and of black people in uh, Buffalo earlier this year. So mm-hmm. that's, that's extremist, mm-hmm. but there's a whole spectrum. So I guess, I guess I just want to want to say, are, when you say, are we asking more questions um, as Christians uh, that in some ways challenge uh, um, kind of white racist heteropatriarchy? I don't see it. Yeah. Well, I wonder, because, you know, here's me, like I'm in this program at ILIF School of Theology, progressive, mm-hmm. probably predominantly white liberal um, place. I mean, you know, they, they're, they're, trying to get it, you know, much more diverse. Um, and and there's even me trying to grapple with de and post-colonial theory, um, which I think is a little bit about what you're talking about in this sort of um, this, what is the word you use? Um, I really liked it. Um, back and forth, you know, this dance, this um, energetic, what was what was dynamic? that you used? Dynamic. dynamic, yes. <laughs> um, this sort of dynamic movement, which is a great word to describe, I think, um, de and post-colonial theory, um, it, because it is this dynamic working with it. Um, and you know, honestly, and I bring it up because, and one of my one of my professors um, is also on this podcast, Dr. Christina was already Hajby, who. Um, who really inspired me with teaching a class around the post-colonial leadership. Um, and I will say, and I will say publicly, it is still like, it inspired me so much and it is so hard to understand. Like I have read and worked with it and read and, and like, you know, I still have, and as you pointed out, I still have a hard time getting my head wrapped around it. I guess my point is, is that, um, I think what Mandy is speaking to a little bit um, is white liberal people, <laughs> right? Yeah, and um, we didn't even we didn't we I don't even think she was even going there with the white nationalists like that wasn't even like on our radar. And so, um, but what isn't you, what would you say like, about us? That yeah, that juxtaposition is super interesting because we have issues too. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, I, I think it's, it's fascinating to think about a certain set of values that are so incredibly destructive and cruel. And when I use terms like heteropatriarchal white nationalist values, it feels like I'm talking about some segment of the population that is all in lockstep and totally different from white liberals, right? So that's what I'm trying to put. But I'm actually, I, I, I don't think that's the case. I think there are certain kinds of values that I wanna say people across racial groups 
Mm -hmm. Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court, for example, that people across racial groups and that white liberals, look at all the educated white women who voted for President, uh, former President Trump, right? Mm -hmm. I still see, I still find uh, my colleagues shocked when we see those numbers, mm. right? Some of those may have counted themselves as, as certainly not as extremist white nationalists. Mm -hmm. That's not how they would identify themselves. So what are the values? And one of the things that happens is, the, is that the, the dehumanization that you, you don't see, I'm using the, the brown migrants families as an example. Mm -hmm. that there's, a, there's a way you, you don't see those families mm -hmm. as having the same human value as Ukrainians, mm -hmm. like, yes. like Ukrainian refugees, would, would you, would you take those folks and put them on some island in Massachusetts just to make a point and tell a lot of jokes about it at a press conference. Ukrainian right. refugees. Can you imagine that happening right mm -hmm. now? No. Why is it? Yeah, why? Because we think of Ukrainian refugees as being people who are terrorized right now by mm. war mm -hmm. and destruction and mm -hmm. fear and mm -hmm. uncertainty, mm -hmm. right? So all, right, you have, you have this whole humanity that you're mm -hmm. attaching that invoke to the Ukrainian refugees that invokes a sense of empathy, right? Mm -hmm. So that mm -hmm. process occurs. Mm -hmm. It doesn't occur somehow. Right. Like, like this, this, do you know how many thousands are getting are getting like bust around right now? Like thousands mm -hmm. of families, mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. but it but there's no major revolt or mm -hmm. right outcry from white liberals. Mm -hmm. Like I how see. could we torment people mm -hmm. who are fleeing violence? Right, many of those folks are fleeing incredible violence mm -hmm. and being Big terrorized mm -hmm. and are destitute and uncertain. Right, so the same kinds of things, but we just mm -hmm. can't see it. Mm -hmm. Many, 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 many of us can't see it. So mm -hmm. I think in some ways to get back to the theme of the podcast, which is so much about liturgy, yes. I guess what I'm trying to help us to see is what allows us in our ritual spaces mm -hmm. to have our consciousness and expanded or in some way disrupted mm -hmm. such that the, the moral worth and dignity, our messages about moral worth and dignity that are coming from heteropatriarchal, white racist kind of nationalist mm -hmm. culture and values mm -hmm. that we can, and as those are, those messages are coming through actual concrete practices that we can experience this sense of disjuncture with those mm -hmm. values. So yeah, talk about, yeah, no, no, no. Talk about that. Talk about that a little bit, because I think that is really, um, uh, um, it's really important because, because I think people and our listeners out there, um, can, can connect the dots, I think, um, 
because they most of them go to worship and they are in those liturgical spaces and they are doing those ceremonies and rituals and but they're also problematic they're um and they they cause lots of hurt and pain pain and prob and they're extremely problematic so what are some things what are some issues that you see and what are some things that we can um what, we, what can we do differently at least to start that movement, start yes. that yes. dynamic space. What does that yes. look like? And one piece of it, um, I, I, I really admire the ways in which I have learned from you and, and I see an emphasis that you have, Marta, and that you have, Mandy, on, on decentering the leadership. Mm -hmm. and allowing a range of voices to be present and to shape the meaning of a worship experience, for example. And what I want to add mm -hmm. is something that, that's, that's, that I think fits, although you may not agree with this, and that's discomfort. Oh, it's all uncomfortable. Don't worry. It, yes. And so, and so, yes. And so but I, but I'm going to add that I'm going to actually add that into, because I do say at some point that it's clunky. Um, but really it is, it is that discomfort, but go talk more about that. Yes. Because if you experience a sense that, oh, wait a minute, the presence of God and the affirmation that I am looking to receive from God about how blessed I am is calling me to be accountable in some ways that really feel uncomfortable and mm -hmm. go against my interests as, as a white woman. And, and so what do you do with that for people who have not ever, ever, um, engaged any of these kinds of dialogues absolutely absolutely A and the but the gift of the holy spirit is is right in the midst of that discomfort that the ways in which that interruption of 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 our participation of our support for certain kinds of demeaning, dehumanizing practices. That's where you say, aha, I hear you. I feel you. I understand that you are present, God, because you're calling to me in this moment. And that that and how to, in some ways, identify that it allows me to get access to some empathy and some compassion um, that I mean, for heaven's I, sakes alive. Absolutely. That I, that I, what I didn't know that I could access. And that in fact is this amazing gift. And in some ways um, it allows me to understand what I'm talking about. So I'm not just sort of reciting domestic violence, mm -hmm. oh God, we need to rid our communities mm -hmm. right. of that. We pray for an end to sexual violence. 
we pray for an end for the of the incestuous assaults that are occurring for children right. two children in our community right so you kind of you have this list this litany and and there's a there's a falseness Mm-hmm. to not understanding the pain and the harm and right and so and so the more we're able to access no actually what we're talking about is interrupting all the permission mm-hmm. for that mm-hmm. and that's going to feel like so what do you do your world is opened up and um i mean i think I'm thinking about teaching because that's one of the places that oh, yeah, I have go for this experience. Yeah. Um, Perfect. And, and for me, it starts with, let me just give a really simple example. I teach on Zoom much more than I used to. And uh, so uh, my name is Tracy West. And right after it are my pronouns, she, her, and black. And one of the things that I do is invite people to talk about gender and the meaning of gender by giving their preferred pronouns. But it's important to me when I give my preferred pronouns to include my blackness because gender is always informed. The way in which I'm gendered Mm. is always informed by my blackness. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that is something that is enriching and enlivening and and it gives me a communal connection Mm -hmm. that is crucial to my being. Mm -hmm. At the same time, it is an acknowledgement of a reality of all kinds of pejorative, stigmatizing, and dehumanizing values that are projected onto me. Mm-hmm. So I, so that's also the reality of that acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I'm giving a really simple example of how I am trying to convey that both mm-hmm. of those things of comfortable, affirming, um, kind of self naming mm-hmm. is occurring and an acknowledgement of historical reality and current reality of uh, dehumanization and stigma mm-hmm. and prejudice, right? That, mm-hmm. that those are happening at the same time by simply describing my pronouns. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I have this visual of you, like, you know, that mirror is being held up and you, like, step in front so that your image is there too you know along with that you're you're holding up this mirror all you want to see is yourself and then there's Tracy like photobombing the mirror image you know um to like disrupt that in this way that is um both subtle and also like extremely powerful I think yeah thank you and and an invitation right as opposed to a Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a way of 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 making people sp- feel uh, punished mm-hmm. um, because so what are some guilt, other things? It, guilt paralyzes, mm-hmm. right? That 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 absolutely um, does not enable. You know, mm-hmm. I, I other think- people do fun things or like things that like like. Well, I'm thinking like people always say my name wrong all the time. And, but it's a big, huge part of who I am um, and the way I see the world. 
um, being the daughter of an immigrant. I mean, it was a huge, it's made a huge impact on my life. And so, and my name comes from that. Um, so I wonder what it would be like. And then I have guilt. <laughs> um, in some Without ways making because people feel uncomfortable, right? That's why you don't say my I name don't. is Monica. So I've actually asked Mandy to even do it for me. I've asked Mandy to even do it for me because it's so stressful for me. Um, and of course, Tracy, you said it so beautifully. So I just want to acknowledge that. Um, but it is. Um, so I, you know, I wonder what that would be like to, um, to just name it like out this is who I am this is how I'm showing up in the world I want to do like does you, you doing that does it give permission for other people that are on the margins or not to name um, their intersectionalities you know I and I, I think of I think that it creates a, a ritual that the the invitation to mm -hmm say your pronouns creates a ritual that is an uncomfortable ritual, at least in the settings I'm in. It continues mm -hmm. to be a somewhat uncomfortable ritual. Um, but, but for those of us who do work trying to help people to think about the no notions of gender and binariness and um, all how harmful being locked into binary, um, very, very specific rigid understandings of, of sex gender, uh, how harmful that has been historically and 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 currently uh, that that in some ways it's like yes this is what we need to be talking about this is what mm -hmm. we need to be practicing and yes. so it creates a ritual where people uh, people are able to often give voice to their resentment uh, about talking about gender. Uh, and for me, particularly in my classroom setting, it's really easy for me to say, wow, but this class, we're going to talk about gender uh, <laughs> a lot throughout the class. And so just simply in a ritual of naming um, mm -hmm. that, that, that allows us to see, wow. So when it has to do with, our, with, with an examination and interrogation, rather interrogation of, of how we name ourselves, mm -hmm. uh, that uh, there's resistance to that, but it's not just how we name ourselves, but the ways in which we enter into, again, this dynamic dialogue with mm -hmm. culture and society mm -hmm. uh, and, and also challenge, mm -hmm. in some, challenge the norms mm -hmm. uh, and, and especially dominant groups who, yes. who say, I, why should I, it's obvious what right. my are. Um, right. Again, so, but it, but it's a wonderful opportunity to practice. So, so for mm -hmm. you to feel like you are called uh, to in some way talk about gender when you're the dominant group that you mm -hmm. somehow feel like you shouldn't have to do that. It's only them, mm -hmm. right? So let's right. think about that. Yeah, I and, like that. The ritual of naming, mm -hmm. um, that is really good. And, and, and that's, comfort that's, that, that's lies. That's part of that. Um, but that's just really simple. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm um, aware of the time and I don't know if I've gotten through all of the questions, but, um, I want yes, to we haven't gotten my... through all the questions and, 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 but it's so wonderful to talk with you. And the, the one story I did not get a chance to tell. So I'll just say like a sentence of it, which is not telling the story. You can tell the whole story. Tell the story. Tell the story. Yes. Just briefly. And that is 
my experience of teaching in the women's prison here in New Jersey. And so that in some ways was, was an experience of trying to create space and also trying to create ritual that mm. in some ways allowed for allowed for the creation of community in a in you just can't get any more oppressive frankly than uh, than the carceral state and specifically in this women's prison so we bring students in and so it's an inside outside mo model and specifically my experience in a class where I was teaching about gender violence and uh and almost all of the students especially the inside students who were prisoners um, but almost all the students had very, very specific stories they wanted to tell. Uh, they, they weren't sure they wanted to tell. Excuse me, that's not true. They weren't sure they wanted to tell. Um, and my attempt to say, we are studying readings about gender violence and the history of gender violence and how religion plays a role. And, uh, and this isn't a therapy session. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. this this, it might, I'm not a therapist, so I'm not going to pretend to be a therapist. So we're, we're not going to um, spend time that you deserve in the kind of therapeutic milieu that you deserve. And the intense anger of, of several of the students, because it was so hard at me, directed at me. Mostly and, on the inside. Uh, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. um, what, 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 what did it mean to stir mm -hmm. up uh, mm -hmm. so much pain mm -hmm. and, then, and then leave mm -hmm. and also and also to say we're studying the readings and and so every week uh, the first week in particular I started by saying we're going to shift out of our studying mode and we're going to end with singing um, lean on me mm -hmm. And several of the students said oh this is so hokey this is so stupid <laughs> who wants to you know we don't want to hold hands and sing that's i said well you don't have to hold hands we're just gonna sing the chorus of lean on me and getting some of the people with incredible voices to take the lead although all of us say uh, all of us and so and the first couple of weeks to to just stop the class no matter what we we're talking about and end just singing about um and then the last week where we had a graduation and we talked about summarized all of our learning and the students put together, I had nothing to do, right? They put together their final uh, day's exercises. And I was just shocked that they said, well, of course we got to sing Lean On Me. <laughs> mm. Oh, oh mm. really? Oh, well, I mean, if you want to, and they still, well, of course. And and the the, the ways in which creating a ritual of being mm. able to just think about across our incredible differences, those of us outside and, mm. and, mm -hmm. and those of us who were inside and the ways in which we had interacted with various issues of gender violence in very painful ways in, in our lives. And so, um, and putting those voices and needs um, center in the design of what it meant to reflect mm. back their learnings on that final mm. day mm -hmm. um, was mm -hmm. a very powerful, impactful way 
that I learned from the students mm -hmm. uh, what it means to uh, to create ritual. Uh, yes. It, it wasn't worship. It wasn't a worship mm -hmm. service. So it's that I'm not talking no, about. No, but it was ritualizing those relationships mm -hmm. in this very intersectional um in this way so it was new it was created for that moment it was um deeply intentional of that space so it, it wasn't yeah. like you and brought we, and in this we're... other ritual and said oh we're going to do this other ritual on top of this um without a care for the very personalized relationship that you built during that time and we worked through lots of anger mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. lots of anger Right. And so it wasn't like this cozy, feel good kind of thing. And no. yet you were still able to somehow um, to hold it. Yes. Create hold the space it. for it. And, um, and, and to share the holding. Which is of what I want so much for church. <laughs> I feel like in some ways we've lost that ability to, to be at some point, you know, the early church must have done that, right? Like they must have created those kinds of um, spaces and rituals um, at some point, yes, right? Yes, I, and I just wanted to bring that up because in response to the question about, well, what do you do with the discomfort? What do you do with the ways in which people feel this is so hard? Mm. Um, just an example of, from my own experience. Of, no, it actually was <laughs> very perfect. I'm so glad yeah. you told the whole story. Yeah. Yes. Find a way to hold it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really great. Well, Together. thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. I actually thank you. could, I could um, learn from you for like another hour and a half at this point in the game. But um, thank I feel you. lucky. I feel lucky enough that you've agreed to be in this space with us like this. It's definitely not enough time to unpack so much juiciness. But thank you, Tracy, for being here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Join us next week for episode five of season seven called Mishka with Kate Eaton. If you like what you heard, please give the podcast a five-star rating and review. Also consider supporting the podcast at patreon.com backslash J-H-L-T-B. This podcast is made possible by the Rocky Mountain Conference of the United Church of Christ Tributary Fund. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and message us to learn how you can be part of this effort to tell stories, have conversations, build relationships, and follow Jesus out of the church and into the world.